All right, I want to invite you to take your Bible and open up to 1 John chapter 5. And if you don't have a Bible with you, the Bible in the pew is yours to keep, but also to use this morning and turn to 1 John chapter 5, that's page 857 in the pew Bible. As you're finding that chapter in 1 John, let me just uh, take you back. Last week, we revisited together one of John's central themes in this letter, the theme of love. Together, if you were with us, we wrestled with one of the most astounding declarations, perhaps the most insightful statement about God in all of Scripture, namely that God is love. God's very person, John writes, everything God is, everything God does flows out of God's nature, God's person as love. We can envision God in many different ways, and we do, but we cannot understand, John insists, God to be anything less than love. And as we discussed, for John, this definition of God's identity that was made clear to him through his encounter with Jesus Christ, this definition of God's identity as love must influence our interpretation and representation of every other revealed fact about God. And even more than this, you'll remember, we, we had to sit with this idea that not all of what we presume and call love is God. Our conception of love doesn't define who God is. No, it's God's revelation of himself through the words of the Bible and the word made flesh in Christ that defines and as needed redefines what love is. And therefore we ought to take care and have increased reverence in our declarations and expressions of love. Today though, as we begin the final chapter of this first letter of John, his talk of love, you'll notice, will transition into a blueprint for our assurance. Our assurance. The assurance of not just our rescue by Jesus, but our salvation. Our overcoming in Christ. If you have it open, read with me from 1 John chapter 5. Starting in verse 1, John writes, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we let those first five verses sink in, as they're just kind of easing in, maybe as your Bibles are open and you're still looking at them, let me ask you a couple of questions this morning. How do you view the times in which we live? The season of elections and politics, in the midst of economic rise and fall, in the midst of celebrity and infamy. How do you view the times in which we live? Do you wake up each morning, look at the world around you, and step out into each day filled with confidence and optimism? Or are you burdened by worry and skepticism? Are we engaging life and people as they surround us, as we encounter them? Or are we keeping our head down, avoiding eye contact, doing what we need to do, and then getting the heck out of there? away from them. Beloved, how's your walk with God? 
How's your walk with God? Do you live and breathe with an air of freedom, a feeling of security, a sense of purpose, or are you struggling? Are you struggling with ambivalence? Are you wavering with uncertainty? Are you plagued perhaps even by self-doubt? Are we seeing growth and transformation in our lives, in our attitudes, in our relationships, or are we just stumbling along? Experiencing more inconsistency than accomplishment, attempting to find comfort in trying, in making an effort, even as we are still haunted by not making any real progress forward. Too many of us, I think, I see, too many of us have a defeatist mentality. We allow ourselves to become numb, indifferent, even cynical in the face of injustice and evil. We give in to that temptation to withdraw, you know, to just give up on this world in which we live. Too many of us, beloved, are rescued by Jesus, but not saved by Jesus. We cling to the cross, but we can't seem to find the strength to carry it. We receive forgiveness, and yet we continue to be enslaved by sin. And we can start in, those, in that place, we can start to convince ourselves we'll be changed later. And therefore, we just exist now in a holding pattern, waiting for heaven. Even as deep down, we start to wonder if we'll really get there. John's words here, these first five verses in chapter five, could not be more needed, I think. At a time when we can start to talk ourselves into remaining passive or indifferent to the world around us, or when, in the face of our own inability to get any traction or make any headway in our walk with God, we can find ourselves tempted to lose heart, John shakes us from a mindset of resignation or a heart of complacency. As he brings this letter to a close, John, did you hear it, begins to speak of victory. Three times in three consecutive sentences, John writes of overcoming. Overcoming. To overcome is to prevail, to prevail, to master, to defeat, to conquer. These military terms, and that's what they are that John uses here, reinforce for us the Christian faith is not an escape from reality, awaiting on the sidelines. Life as we know it is a struggle. Even though this world is broken, there is opposition to change. There is battle. There is resistance. However, for John, did you hear him this morning? We don't just settle. We can't look away. We overcome. Overcoming means representing the truth, sharing the love, extending the mercy. Overcoming means getting involved, offering ourselves, being the light in the darkness, and facing the worst that we can do to each other. And for John, we don't give up. We can't quit or resign because the victory is ours. We can have assurance of the outcome, and that assurance compels us not to retreat, not to resign, but to press forward, not just to hope for victory, but to live out of the victory, to represent the victorious life. My friends, it's not just that we shall overcome. For John, we are to be overcomers in this world. 
And if you haven't been with us during this sermon series, I need to stop and just once again clarify that when John talks again and again about the world, he's talking about those attitudes and values opposed to God. John says we are to be overcomers of those attitudes and values opposed to God. John's rallying cry here is for us to master, to defeat, to conquer the lies, the deceptions, the darkness in this life born of a good creation gone wrong. A good creation gone wrong because of our rebellion, because of our rejection of God, because of our sin. And John's words here leave us with two inevitable questions, at least they do for me. When John speaks of victory and overcoming, I ask myself, how can we know we are victorious? How can we be assured of our salvation in Christ? And how can we reflect this victory? How can we live as overcomers in this world in a world that is opposed, in a world that is often contrary to the values to the attitudes of God, the character of God. And the answer to both of these questions is here in these verses this morning. John, in fact, this morning, what I want us to see gives us three indicators for both having assurance and for representing the victory that is ours. But before I lay out those three indicators that John outlines in these first five verses, it's critical to stop for a second and to stress that what John is doing here isn't engaging the question of how one becomes a Christian. John isn't engaging here the question of how one becomes a Christian as much as he is delineating how one can know he or she is living as a Christian. My friends, it is one thing to be saved. It is something else to act to exist, to live out of the salvation we have been given. And what John is laying out here for us this morning are directions, signposts, if you will. When you are traveling to uh, some place headed towards a destination you've never been before, how do you know you're going in the right direction? We look for, we rely on signs, right? We look for signs along the way to know that we're headed in the right direction. And so John is providing us signs, signposts, so that we can know we're going in the right way. In other words, John is not providing us here with instructions for building a ladder to get to heaven as much as he is offering us indicators for being assured that we're actually headed in the right way, climbing the ladder, if you will. So what are those three signposts in these first five verses? Here they are. Here are the three signposts John gives us. Number one, believe in Jesus. Number two, follow Jesus. Number three, love like Jesus. Believe in Jesus, follow Jesus, love like Jesus. That John is not telling us how to be saved, but rather offering us directions to ensure we are living out of our salvation is made clear by this first signpost that he offers us. In verse five, he writes this, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. The first signpost is believe in Jesus. The fixed point, the foundation of our victory is in Christ, the work of Jesus on the cross. Overcoming is something Jesus did first. We are not victorious because we pulled ourselves together one day, cleaned up our lives, and cleaned up this world on our own. Been there, tried that. Thousands of years of human history, lots of so-called progress, 
And we have yet to make a dent in the real problems of this world, the true challenges of our lives. Fashions have changed, the meanings of words can change, technology advances, but the fundamental breakdowns, the deficits in the human condition remain unchanged. Violence, selfishness, ignorance, pride, prejudice, addiction, the list goes on and on. We are not victorious because we have or we can pull ourselves together. No, John writes, we are victorious because God became flesh and dwelled among us in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, as the Son of Man, offered what humanity should a life of perfect obedience and faithfulness. Because Jesus, as the Son of God, came and accomplished what only God could. And that is atoning for, dealing with the total consequence of sin, paying in full the wages of death and thereby bankrupting it. For John, this victory is ours because we believe in Jesus. That's the first signpost, believing in Jesus. We can be sure of our salvation, that we're headed in the right direction, that we are overcoming the world when we believe not in ourselves, but in Jesus. And let's be really clear about something we often get confused at this point, something about this nature of belief in Jesus. And for many of us who've grown up all our lives in the church, I'm specifically talking to you. Because more often than not, that's the place where this confusion lies. When John says that signpost is believing in Jesus, understand something. We don't overcome the world because we woke up one morning, made a decision for Christ, and then tried really hard to get our life together. No, our belief in Jesus, the new mind, the new heart, the new spirit within us is itself a work of God's sovereign grace. We are reborn by the will of God, not our own will. And that's why birth is so often used as an analogy. Because in the same way, in terms of our natural birth, we had nothing to do with bringing ourselves into this world. Nothing whatsoever. We have nothing to do with our spiritual rebirth. Believing in Jesus isn't assenting to the idea or even the work of Jesus. Believing in Jesus means submitting, yielding to, being dependent and reliant upon the relationship Jesus initiates with us. We, are, we, are, we get to overcome only because we share in the victory of another. We are victorious because Christ was and is the one who overcomes. And it's interesting, in many places, but specifically in the book of Revelation, this is another name for Jesus, the one who overcomes. The one who overcomes. That's the first signpost that we're headed in the right direction, believing in Jesus. The second signpost flows out of the first. Follow Jesus. John writes in verse 3 here, In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. Again, an important distinction needs to be made at this point. In these verses that we've looked at this morning, John uses two different verb tenses when he talks about overcoming. Okay? When he writes about the victory that has overcome the world in verse 4, if you're looking at your Bible, when he writes about the victory that has overcome the world, that verb is in the past tense. And it refers once again to where we started, to the foundation, the basis of the victory, the work of Christ on the cross. Overcoming the world is something Jesus has definitively accomplished. 
So says not just John, but so says Jesus, interestingly, as John records it in his gospel, not this letter, as John records it in chapter 16 of his gospel, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And later from the cross, you remember what Jesus says, right? It is finished. So in this first use of overcoming, John speaks of it in the past tense, referring to the work that Christ has done. But then in the next verse, verse 5, as John continues, in the original Greek, he shifts to the present tense, to a present participle, in fact, referring to our overcoming in Christ. And, it's, and by shifting to the present, he's talking about this overcoming as being an ongoing process, a continued day-by-day experience that's gained through our resistance against the world. Again, against those attitudes and values opposed to God. So to break this down, in other words, we can be assured of victory. We will, that we will overcome the trials, tribulations, and challenges before us, John indicates, as we follow Jesus. As we listen and obey, as we do what he called us, taught us, showed us to do. And this may seem very, very obvious, very, very logical. Let me give you, just to step away for a second, a picture that I want you to foster in your mind. Imagine, whatever the scenario looks like to you, but imagine you find yourself in a situation where you are totally lost and absolutely helpless. Totally lost and absolutely helpless to the point where you're going to die. You are certainly going to die on your own because you are totally lost and absolutely helpless. Imagine that scenario and then imagine that someone rescues you. That someone rescues you and then that someone tells you he knows the way. He can get you through what lies ahead. You can be saved if you follow him. We, all of us, right? We would follow that someone, wouldn't we? We'd be fools not to follow. It makes no sense to be rescued, right? And then not to look for and follow your Savior. And yet, there are so many Christians who claim Jesus has rescued them, but then refuse or ignore the call to follow Jesus, to do what Jesus teaches and commands. Like forgiving our enemies, dealing with our unresolved anger, sharing what we have, blessing those who persecute us, being generous stewards, refusing to worry, extending mercy, practicing justice, walking humbly. I've just given you a sampling of the things that Jesus not only commands us, but teaches us to do. And prior to our belief in Jesus, I don't know about you, but for me, what I just shared, and there's so much more, those teachings, those commands of Christ were overwhelming. Even impossible. I heard Jesus talk about that, and they they freaked me out. I was afraid of them. They intimidated me. And maybe for some of us, we actually go from fear to actually being resentful of them. But what John wants us to understand as we experience the victory of Christ, as we rely and depend upon Jesus, following him not only becomes desirable, but as John writes it, it becomes easier and empowering. For John, we no longer perceive these commands as burdensome. They become attractive, liberating as we understand in them, in following Jesus, the path of victory, their power to conquer the world around us. 
Beloved, what I'm saying to you this morning, and I'm trying to ruffle some feathers, and I can't tell if by your reaction if I am or I'm not, but God's grace in Christ not only enables us to overcome the penalty of sin. God's grace in Christ not only enables us to overcome the penalty of sin, it also enables us to be victorious over the power of sin. And what I'm saying to you, and if you're not hearing me, too many Christians claim to have been rescued by Jesus, but don't look or act like they've been saved by Jesus. Those who practice wickedness, who, not, who don't just stumble, but persistently do the opposite of what Jesus commanded, who plunge headlong into sin, aren't headed in the right direction, and they aren't living victoriously. And if this strikes us as harsh, if this sort of cuts against the grain of the get out of jail free card that we often talk about, that we think that's what it's all about, it's not just John who says this, it's Jesus. Once again, as John records it in his gospel, Jesus in chapter 15 says it like this, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. If you haven't heard me yet, I'm going to say it as clear as I possibly can. Believing in Jesus means following Jesus. If we don't follow, we don't really believe. And the book of Revelation, by the way, reinforces this second signpost that John gives us here. And again, the book of Revelation, oddly enough, also written by John. As John gives us a vivid picture of what it looks like to be overcomers in Christ. Later on today, go to the book of Revelation, turn to chapter 12, and you'll see that John shares a vision of the saints the martyrs, and this is what he writes that he sees, and they have conquered by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Let me break this down for you. What John sees, what John declares, is the saints conquered the world because they held on to their testimony, their belief in Jesus, expressed through their following of his commands even until the point of their own death. And so we too overcome daily by the word of our testimony, our visible obedience to the way of Christ as we cling to the one who overcomes, the blood of the lamb, the work of Jesus. Believe in Jesus, follow Jesus. The third and final signpost indicating that we're heading in the right direction. By this point in John's letter ought to be really familiar to us. Love others like Jesus. John puts it this way in verses one and two. Everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. Love others like Jesus. Following the commands of Jesus directly relates to how we engage the people around us. In fact, the bulk of what Jesus teaches and commands us to do in following him revolves around how we treat others, how we approach the relationships in our lives with our loved ones, with our neighbors, with strangers. To reinforce this, I want you to, if you have your Bible, I'm going to go back to chapter 4 because there's a verse in chapter 4 last week I didn't deal with that I saved for this week. John wrote something in chapter 4 that I didn't address because I think it's helpful now to look and appreciate the significance of this third and final signpost, loving others like Jesus, that he gives us here. So if you're looking in chapter 4, look at verse 20, and John writes this, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. He said this before. He's repeating himself here. 
But the next part is new. For whomever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. This is new. And, and once again, if you're with me, John, as he's done throughout this letter, just cuts right to the heart of it, doesn't he? I mean, we, I've watched you. I, I'm like you. We can all get pretty fired up about our beliefs, right? We can all get fired up about our beliefs about God. We can all get, get pretty ramped up in defending God. We all can get pretty passionate in our witness for God. And John says, yeah, you know, you can get pretty fired up, pretty riled up, pretty passionate for your beliefs, your defense, your witness to a God that you have not even seen. A God you believe in by faith. But catch what John says here. John declares, if we don't have that same level of interest, that same level of attention, that same level of compassion and advocacy towards the people we engage every day, fellow human beings we can see, our brothers and sisters we can't help but see, then regardless of what we tell ourselves, we don't love God and we don't know Jesus. Damn. John writes in chapter five, everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. You might think he's talking about Jesus. He's not. Everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. John is once again underscoring loving like Jesus means loving everyone. We've covered this, but I'll say it again. We are all children of God. John has brought this out. We are all children of God, children of the same spiritual father. Even if those around us don't share our faith, even if those around us don't have any faith, even if those around us are diametrically opposed to what we believe, none of this diminishes their identity as children of God and therefore as our brothers and sisters. Despite the corrupting influence of sin, being rejected, denied, betrayed, unjustly accused, wrongly put to death, Jesus still loved this world and all the people in it. Enough to give his life to see all creation, everyone reconciled to himself. And if we believe in Jesus and if we follow him, it can be no different for us. There is no victory for us in Christ. We can have no assurance of our salvation if we are not sharing that victory. Assuring others of their inclusion in Jesus' offer of salvation and encouraging them through our love to overcome through Christ this world of sin and death. Believe in Jesus, follow Jesus, love like Jesus. Those are the signposts that I see John giving us here. And now I would like to briefly give us some counsel about how we gauge our progress. How do we monitor our trajectory in believing in Jesus, following Jesus, and loving like Jesus? And let me clarify, this isn't what John is saying, this is what Pastor Chris is saying. These are my thoughts for you on how do we take what John said and how do we gauge that, that trajectory in our lives. And I want to again offer you three ways we gauge it. Where first, it's being real. Second, it's looking long-term. And third, it's getting a communal perspective. So how do we monitor our trajectory of believing in Jesus, following Jesus, loving like Jesus? First, we've got to be real. And what that means is, and this does come back from what John said earlier in this letter in chapter 1, we have to continually practice confession and repentance. We have to be lifelong learners. Being real means we don't fake it to make it. You don't act like a Christian you are a follower of Jesus. You hear the difference? You don't act like a Christian, you follow Jesus. It means be honest. It means admit your struggles. It means wash up on a regular basis. 
Bring your sin into the light. Confess your mistakes and struggles. Victorious Christians, really, if we get nothing else, hear this today. Victorious Christians are not triumphant, arrogant, or perfect. Victorious Christians are not triumphant, arrogant, or perfect. Victorious Christians are being perfected. Victorious Christians are humbly learning and growing. Victorious Christians openly acknowledge that overcoming the world is not a smooth path. It's filled with stumbling. It's filled with imperfection. It's filled with temptation. It's filled with struggle. But the journey is real. It's heartfelt. It's sincere. It's discernible. And it is forward-moving. How do we gauge that we're believing in Jesus, following Jesus, loving like Jesus? Be real. And second, look long-term. There should be, John says this throughout his letter, evidence of life. You know, we use that analogy of birth that we talked about earlier. What's the evidence of birth? A baby. No baby, no birth. So there should be evidence. But here's the thing. Babies, if we're going to stick with that analogy, don't become adults overnight. Right? Look long term. Transformation takes time, my friends. Evaluate growth in your life in Christ, not in days or weeks. Habits are formed. Habits are broken and reformed, especially spiritual and character ones, over months and years, not days and weeks. It's not about forgiving today, being generous yesterday, or less angry tomorrow. It's about adopting, developing, and sustaining a posture of forgiveness, generosity, and peace. Remember, this is the fruit of the Spirit. It's less about our active effort and more about our passive effort. Another way to put this is following the leader means looking for direction, keeping your eyes on the leader rather than blazing off on our own and then looking back. So it's not about looking at the days or weeks of your life, but looking over a season of time and honestly reflecting on not what you say you do, not what you claim you want to do, but looking over a season of time of what you actually do. Do I cling to Christ? Do I run to Jesus? Am I being conformed to the image of Christ? You can't see that in days or weeks. Do I practice, not perfect, do I practice righteousness? Is that a practice? Is that I'm getting more practiced in righteousness? Do I avoid or do I indulge in sin? Do I trust and rely on the goodness of Jesus? Is my self-reliance, my self-assurance greater, more of a priority, my default than my dependence upon Christ? You gotta look long-term. And then the third gauge is engage and value a communal perspective. This one is so crucial for me. Because you see, as we get real, and as we engage the long term, here's what you'll discover. Maybe some of you have encountered this, okay? The closer we get to a holy God, the more we see our own sin. The closer we get to a holy God, the more we see our own sin. The deeper the Spirit works in us to change us, the more sensitive, the more vulnerable, the more weakened we can be, because we're getting broken down, right? We're dying to ourselves, and in that state, we can be susceptible to self-doubt, guilt, or shame. 
The more we submit ourselves to Christ, seeking to learn new habits, the harder it can become for us to perceive the changes Jesus is making in us. We become blinded. We need people. We need each other to point out the fruit in our life, to reflect back to us the growth, the changes the Lord is making. We need people to show us, to reflect back to us what God is accomplishing in us because sometimes we're so close to it all, we can't see it. And because sometimes we're too critical to recognize progress or acknowledge growth. These three gauges that I've given you, be real, long, look, think long-term, look long-term, and um, have a communal perspective, I want to give you a, a way of, kind of conceptualizing this, putting it all together. My daughter Emma is finishing up her first year in college. I can't believe that that's already gone by. I am going to be driving up this week to pick her up from college. I'm excited beyond all get out. I will not be here on Sunday because I'll be bringing her home. But I, look, I think about, as I'm preparing to drive up and have that drive back with her and talk about her first year away, that in many ways, her experience in this first year has been sort of what we're talking about. She has entered into a completely new experience. She's un, no longer under our roof. She's lived, is living life in a totally different way, on her own, in an absolutely different environment. And in that place, these three things, these gauges of her life have come into place. That she's had to first be real, Right? Meaning she couldn't just put on a happy face. She couldn't just act like she knew what the heck was going on all the time. She would have gotten herself into more and more trouble. So there was often times when we would check in and Emma's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not sure about this. I screwed up. I made a huge mistake. And okay, you learn from it. You grow from it. You figure it out. You do better the next time. But if she had been like, oh, it's, everything's fine. Everything's great. No, it's all good. I, oh, I got this. And it piles up all the, the chaos and the problems. That would have been a shipwreck. She had to be real. And it was tough. Because you know, you want to be independent, but you got to kind of admit what you, you don't, what you don't know. And then there was that element of looking long-term. <laughs> I don't know how many of you have sent your kids away to college. You've had this experience. But Emma would have a great day. College is great. I love it up here. The next day, it sucks. I want to come home. <laughs> I'm done. Let's go. Buy me a, I'm sick. Buy me a plane ticket. I'm coming home. I can't do this. I'm just, I can't handle it. And we had to continually say to her, you can't look at this in terms of days, even weeks. You got to look long-term. There's a progression here. You got to, you know, this is a year in. You got to, this got to think in terms of a quarter at a time and then a year at a time. And then finally, Emma in the midst of it couldn't always see the growth that was happening, the ways in which she was growing. She was so caught up in it, she often thought, saw more failure or more weakness or more inability. And that's why as her parents, the communities she found around her, the church up there, when she came back here, it's we who said, Emma, man, You've grown up so much. Wow, we really can see that confidence in you. You really seem you. And she'd be like, what? Really? This example that I'm giving you, and this is what I plan on reflecting to my daughter of how proud I am in her, uh, in, in, of her because of her trusting those gauges. That's, a, that's not just a, a, a singular model for someone in college. That's a great view of the Christian life. We've got to be real. We've got to continually be confessional, repentant in order to move forward. It, 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 this is, remember, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And we've got to have a long-term view. It's not about how you did today and what happens tomorrow or even this week and that week. It's looking over the long haul, the months, the seasons, and looking back and looking at those chunks of time. And it's about a communal perspective. That's why we need each other. That's why we're part of a church. That's why you're part of a small group. That's why you have a mentor in your life. Because oftentimes you get so knee-deep in it, you can't see the forest for the trees. 
All you can see is, I'm not going anywhere. God's not doing anything in me. I don't see anything. And then that person reflects back, look, this is where I see Jesus. That's how God works. He speaks to us through the people he puts around us. So those are the signposts, those are the gauges. <laughs> and the thing is, struggle. <laughs> struggle is a part of this world. I want to say that one more time. Struggle is a part of this world that's in the throes of birth pangs, as the scriptures describe. Struggle is a part of this world that is in the throes of birth pangs, this world that's waiting and enduring the painful labor of becoming a new creation. In our Father's answer to our prayers for it to be on earth as it is in heaven, those answers do not come without an unsettling, a reorientation of life as we know it. And all of this means all what I'm trying to say so fan so fancily is that what Jesus said is true. In this world, we will have trouble, hardships, trials, difficulties to overcome. How do we face the unforeseen? How do we endure the unexpected? How are we, as John assures us, we can to overcome the world? These are timely questions for me this week. I don't know what kind of week you've had, but I have had a hard week. That shooting that took place at UCLA that you may have heard about, I knew that professor who was shot. He was my friend. I pastored him in another church. I know his family. There are people around me who I've tried to support, tried to encourage, People, men, several people whose marriages are struggling, their marriages are in crisis. I just don't even know if they're going to make it, you know? I have a friend this week whose spouse just had a stroke. You don't, you don't know it's coming, right? But there it is, you deal with it. A woman I prayed with this week whose sister's cancer has just become terminal, and she has a five year old son. And then last night to get news within our own community of a family that's lost their four-year-old daughter being hit by a car. That's all in a week. I need to hear John this morning. I don't know about you. Because all of that, I, I can't breathe. I can't move. I have an ache in me. I'm not feeling victorious. I'm feeling done. I need to hear John. I need to hear John even though I think John's nuts. <laughs> John wants to talk about overcoming the world. I just want to overcome this week, man. I need to hear John because in the midst of being lost, in the midst of being hopeless on my own, having no answers on my own, I need John to remind me, to tell me again the starting point, the place that I begin, the place that I go back to is the gospel. It is always in better and more deeply embracing the one who overcomes. 
Whether things go the way we hoped for or planned or not, the victorious life is ours through abiding in the person, the guiding presence, the actualized promises of Jesus Christ. It's not about having faith. It's not about having more faith. It's about exercising the faith we have been given the relentless faith that God has in us, that God has in you, in Jesus Christ. It's not about arguing. It's not about legislating. It's not about attacking a world opposed to Jesus. It is defending the truth about Christ, defending the truth of Christ by living the truth of Christ, by believing, by following, by loving like Jesus. Because when we love Jesus, when we love what Jesus commands, when we love those whom Jesus died for, we shall overcome. We become more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen.